Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. Hi, I'm Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News, and this is the Future Tech panel from Legal Tech West Coast in Los Angeles. We're sponsored by Blue Arc today, and we're broadcasting today's program on Law Technology Now, a podcast presented by Law.com and the Legal Talk Network. And you can also find us on iTunes. Joining us now is Austin-based attorney and forensics expert Craig Ball, LTN's award-winning e-discovery columnist. Craig is a prolific contributor to continuing legal and professional education programs throughout the United States. His articles on forensic technology and e-discovery frequently appear in national media, including the American Bar Association, AAJ, and ALM print and online publications. A member of the LTN Edit Board, he writes the Ball in Your Court column, a monthly column on computer forensics and e-discovery. Please welcome Craig Ball. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, for me, the future began in 1964. It was my seventh birthday. And on my seventh birthday, my parents drove with me the few miles from our home in New York to Flushing Meadows, where we went to the 1964 World's Fair. And at the World's Fair, the General Electric Pavilion was called the Carousel of Progress. It's probably familiar to many of you from its reincarnation at each of the Disney parks. But it, it, it brought with it a vision of the future for me that has stayed with me. The notion that there's a great big beautiful tomorrow because we have a dream, we have an idea, and we can bring that to fruition. And that same day, I was in the Bell Telephone Pavilion, and they had the picture phone there. And at the time, it's hard to, today to convey what it was like that you could sit down in a cubicle in New York City, and you could talk to Anaheim, to Disneyland. And at that time, they sang happy birthday to me on the picture phone, and we were told by Bell, back when there was just one phone company, that in just a few years, we would all have this device in our homes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, a few years later, it was in 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Dr. Haywood Floyd was in space, and he also had Happy Birthday sung to him. And I'm still wondering, where the heck is my picture phone? But I'm not the only one that, that is worried about making projections about the future. If my crystal ball proves to be cloudy, I'm in august company, whether it be Bill Gates' apocryphal and apparently untrue remark of why would anyone ever need more than 640K, or the chairman of Digital Equipment Corporation who said why would anyone ever need a computer in their home, or... Thomas Watson, the founder of IBM and its chairman, who is reported to have said that in 1943, he saw no market in the world for more than about five computers. Fortunately for all of us here today, he was wrong. But as I say, as I look into my crystal ball, if I should find it murky in making my predictions, know that I will be among August company. 
first prediction that I want to share with you is the prediction that it really is a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. It really is going to get better, and it's going to get better in, in ways that will allow us to get our arms around electronic discovery. It's going to get faster. It's going to get easier. It's going to get less expensive because we're going to standardize things. We're going to share a common electronic discovery vocabulary so that when you say potato and I say quasi-native, we're all going to know what we're talking about. When I say I'm going to do a forensically sound image, you're going to know what I mean. We're not going to argue about it. And that's going to mean then that we can get things done. We can specify, we can go to our Chinese restaurant menu and pick one from column A and one from column B and know that we're going to get the right sized e-discovery for our case. Another thing that's going to happen is that the data footprints of litigants are going to be well kept and well known. What I mean by that is that we're not going to reinvent our our a determination of what information we have in an organization every time we have a new piece of litigation. We're going to realize that that's something we have to keep track of. And because we're keeping track of it, because as we add new technology, as we retire technology, we now realize that we want to be logging that process because as serial litigants we need to, we're going to find that the cost of assembling a data footprint is going to dwindle. The other benefit, and we won't see it that way if we see ourselves as a defendant, but it will save money, is that the data footprints of various off-sued litigants will be well-known to their opponents. Just as plaintiff's lawyers today share information about product defects, share information about account regular counsel, they're going to share information that they learned in prior litigation about the data footprint of a company. And that's going to be an advantage because you're not going to have to reinvent the wheel trying to persuade your opponent that this really is what we have and this is how it works. They're going to get it essentially from someone that they already trust. Another thing that's going to happen is that we're going to see some great things happen. We're going to see routine production of metadata, things that we quibble about right now of I don't want to give you that field to that field. Suddenly a veil will lift from our eyes and we're going to understand that system metadata, understanding the name of a file, the dates it was modified, access created, the name of the custodian, the path of the file, we shouldn't be fighting about those things. Those things are routine. Furthermore, once we get lawyers to stop putting privileged information into the embedded metadata, once people stop, lose their fear of embedded metadata and learn how to manage it safely, we're not going to be spending the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we spend right now to deal with embedded metadata. We're also going to be making routine use of cryptographic hashes. They're going to be our new Bates numbers. They're going to be things that will allow us on the fly to authenticate information, something we've never been able to do, to know that something is unchanged, to know that it's the real McCoy, simply because we run a quick calculation against that information. Another thing that's going to be happening to us is we're going to see the death of backup tapes. Now, let me say many, many futurists uh, have gotten themselves in hot water with egg on their face predicting the demise of the backup tape. But it's really happening. And I'll tell you that within three years, four at most, we're going to see a, a dwindling of between 30 and 70 percent of the use of backup tape media. Mostly we're going to be seeing people moving to spinning media. Another thing that's going to change are the opportunities for lawyers. Let's face it, it's going to be a tough market for, for lawyers, for, particularly for small and medium-sized lawyers. The good news is that not everyone will be having to adapt, as this personal injury trial lawyer has adapted, um, by selling uh, out of the Dunkin' Donuts. 
Um, we're going to have opportunities like the e-discovery attorney. We're going to have people who are going to serve, at least in the interim, until the information that must be known by a lawyer to avoid committing malpractice, until it filters down through the ranks and files. We're going to have the gurus at the firms. We're going to have people being hired for their e-discovery expertise. They're going to be the people that do the designs that are now required when you're dealing with a, a keyword search. They're going to be people that are going to assist and hold hands in the meet and confer. They're going to ensure that the client and the firm are able to be well protected from the vicissitudes of bad e-discovery. This future text session is brought to you by BlueArc. BlueArc helps legal firms, electronic discovery companies, and corporations handle the explosion of electronically stored information and accelerate computer-related evidence gathering with its industry-leading high-performance and scalable network storage solution. Impact the outcome of litigation actions and deliver evidence to legal teams more quickly by meeting tight deadlines and strict regulatory requirements. Find out how by visiting BlueArc at www.bluearc.com or contact us at 1-866-864-1040. Another thing that's going to happen is we're going to see meet and confer become a more routine situation, not only in the federal practice but in the state practice. Meet and confer is simply a great idea. You know why? We, we've seen it happen in terms of mediation in, in cases. We've seen mediators essentially adjudicating most of our cases, getting them settled. Well, if you think about it, most of the issues in e-discovery are as much determinative, in many ways, as costly or more costly than we're fighting about in the merits of the cases. And so what we're going to see is a lot of contention, and we're going to see solutions in the form of people who are dealing with these issues – such as e-discovery mediators, people who will get together with expertise in this area. They will bring the parties together. They will be able to solve disputes about forms of production and scope of searches and deal with problems of, of noisy keywords and bad choices. And because that person is a neutral, that person will hopefully have greater credibility and be able to bring the parties closer together, be able to assure both sides that there will be the second bite at the apple when it's appropriate, and simply keep the problem process moving. Another thing we're going to see is a change in interfaces. One thing that may surprise you is that the computer that you will have 10 years from today is going to be exponentially more powerful than the computer you have today. And, you know, you're not going to want to just open Word 100 times faster. That's not what you're going to get those productivity gains. That horsepower is going to be directed through on entirely new forms of interfaces. Visual interfaces, certainly, but also oral interfaces and tactile interfaces, gestural interfaces. We're going to communicate with our computers in different ways. We will get to the point where we speak to computer. All of us have grown up with, with the, the vision of the future that you say, computer, tell me this, and the computer does. We will interact with our computers that way. It won't be quite the way it is in Star Trek. And I think um, it was mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Craig Williams mentioned that, he, I think it was that he expected that we will simply walk up to our cars and the doors will unlock and we'll be wearing a special wristwatch or something for that purpose. And if I've attributed to the wrong speaker, I apologize. I don't think so. I think our computers are going to be even smarter than that. I think that their computers aren't going to require a wristwatch. They're not going to require a key fob in, our, in their pocket like my Prius does now. When I walk up, I touch the door. It knows me, not because it knows me. It knows what I'm carrying in my pocket. 
but soon it will know me. Whether it's a biometric, whether it's facial recognition or voice recognition or a combination of all of those things, when I interact with my computer, it will know me and it will act. Now, well, the significance of this for electronic discovery is this. It means that we are marginalizing text. Most things in electronic discovery are all about keyword search or concept search. As you move away from text, as you become gestural or visual or graphic or sound-based, you lose all of the ability to deal with text. So we're going to have to be looking over the hill and realizing that the new ways of searching, phonemes will be king. Vision recognition systems will be what will get us through. So be thinking about the marginalization of text. Another thing that's going to happen is the separation of the adversarial core of litigation away from the process of e-discovery. We lose a lot of money in e-discovery by bringing the contentiousness that we need in the other side of litigation to the process of gathering information. Gathering information, as we all say and agree, needs to be a collaborative process, a transparent process, and you just can't bring in the person that wants to strangle the other side and get that done. You need to bring in a team that's dispassionate, technically oriented, and they will be handling the nuts and bolts and mechanics of getting the data together before they present it to the rabid dogs uh, for further handling. Another thing that's going to happen is dramatically different. You know, think about if you had to do discovery against a 15-year-old today, where does their data live? Is it email? No. Social networking sites? Certainly. Portable devices that they carry on their person? Absolutely. Their cell phones and their text messaging are where they live. And you know what else? For my son who's 15, it's his game platforms. Now think about all of that. They virtualize their information. They don't rely upon laptops, generally speaking, for storage or even desktops. So add 10 years to the life of that 15-year-old. When they are the newly minted young lawyer, what are they going to want to deal with? They're going to want to use what they know. They're going to adapt what they grew up with to what they do as they become adults. So we've got to realize that soon we will be having a situation where the desktop computer is meaningless. It's merely a projector. We will take a device or we will simply be recognized biometrically and it will be a projector. It will bring our particular environment there and our environment will live somewhere else. Most likely virtualized out on the web. All of my information lives on the web. The documents I create in my work, the information, the email, etc., there is no device, there's no server. It's simply out there somewhere in a secure way out on the web. Now, we're going to try in, a, in sort of a retro way to say we're going to stop all of this retention. We're going to stop saving everything. We're going to find ways to avoid it and it's going to fail miserably. What's going to happen is that the onward march of cheap storage, the explosion of online storage. Some of you may have heard that Adobe, with the release of Adobe Acrobat 9, is going to make gigabytes of free storage available to lawyers on the web. Now think about that. Everything is going to live out on services that you feel secure. That means that you're going to start running into encryption because encryption will be made fairly transparent. Information will go out there and we'll be able to leave it out there. But here's what's going to happen. The bad news is, despite archiving, despite the fact that we will get single instance uh, use of deduplication, we'll, we'll, we'll nip and tuck here and there. But basically, people are going to end up keeping everything because they can, because they don't have to be afraid of making a poor choice. 
And that's the world that we face. So we will have to deal with search. We will not be able to simply say it's going to go away. Another thing that's going to happen is that location data will be routinely tracked. That means that wherever you are, it's essentially tracked now. The cell phones that you've bought in the last couple of years are GPS-enabled. They are always broadcasting your location any time that you're on. But so many more devices that you use, devices that are cheap, devices that are disposable, are going to be GPS-enabled, and where you are and the world around you will be recorded. As where you are at any given moment becomes evidence in cases, it will have to be protected, preserved, and ultimately produced. Another thing you're going to see is the rise of virtual machines. This isn't something that is the next Terminator movie that I've just talked about. It means that virtualization, which is um, an explosively hot topic in the world of IT right now, is going to manifest itself in e-discovery. The hardest parts of e-discovery are growing, and that means database discovery. Everything's going to a database mode. Your word processing is going to be a database system, a word document creation system. Your email is already a database system, whether you know it or not. As databases become more complex to produce, rather than try to negotiate a common language between different platforms or require the other side to get their own version of the platform and equip it exactly like yours, what we will do in production of complex database information is simply virtualize it. We will create a virtual machine. It will run in its own windowed environment in another platform. It will look and feel and operate exactly the way it, it operates at the other side's location. And the great thing about it is it is extremely cheap. We're also going to see a, a rise of personal privacy, particularly of personally identifiable information. Because as the dollar shrinks and as the euro continues to grow in power and as, of course, China continues to march on as, an, as a powerful force economically, what you're going to see is what I call the Europe, Europeanization of U.S. data privacy policy. We aren't the biggest bully on the block anymore, or at least we're not going to be. We're going to have to kowtow to stronger, more powerful groups over in Europe, and that means that some of how they do things, particularly how they value individual rights and privacy, are going to be things we have to emulate. And that's not a bad thing. They do some things better over there, and this is one of them that we're going to come to love. There'll be pushback on the Patriot Act world as we change politically, and we're going to be starting to say we're going to protect individual information. We're going to see it in some of the Fourth Amendment cases that have come down in the last couple of weeks, dealing with instant messages and email and so forth. Um, good example also, we're going to... Um, we're going to be dealing with changes in the whole way we go about search. Many of you have seen the case United States versus O'Keefe, which came out a few months ago. Judge Fasciola said, essentially, lawyers aren't qualified to do keyword search, even though they all do it and need discovery. You need to be a computer technologist. You need to be a statistics expert or a linguist. In fact, he goes on to say, for lawyers and judges to dare opine that a certain search term or terms would be more likely to produce information is truly to go where angels fear to tread. Search, he says, is beyond the ken of a layman, and by layman he means lawyers and judges. Carry that forward a few weeks more in the Victor Stanley versus Creative Pipe case that just came down at the end of May. There, Judge Grimm out of Maryland says that there have got to be certain criteria met if you're going to be doing those kind of searches. In that case, because those criteria weren't met, they, had to, they waived 
their privilege rights. But you've got to have, in a certain sense, you've got to have some testing, some quality assurance and quality control, things that are commonplace in every other in- industry and a complete foreign anathema in ours. So we have to realize that search is a science, and so we're going to have to build these things in, and this is going to be the future, not the future of five years ago, but the future of five minutes from now. I also stopped, and a week ago I I contacted a number of thought leaders in the e-discovery world, sent it out to about 40 different people, 18 of them were very kind to respond, and they shared with me some of their thoughts for the future of EDD. I can't share them all with you here, but let me give you a few highlights. Judge Grimm responded. Now, this is a real find for me, because so many of us out there are trying to parse what does Judge Grimm mean? Does this mean we have to hire experts in every case? Well, Judge Grimm says that he predicts that there are going to be some accepted methodologies. So what I read that to mean is that we're going to have some proven practices, and that if you follow those blueprints that have been looked at by courts, have been looked at by experts, and been blessed in a sense, merely following those tracks closely will be enough to get us through. So we'll have standardized mechanisms. Jason Barron with the National Archives predicted the growth of visual analytics. We've touched on this a little bit. We've touched on in the form of um, the Tom Cruise interface in, in uh, in the futuristic movie that he had. But we will be finding other ways to assimilate large volumes of data, in particular the relationships that are shown by documents and communications, and we'll be dealing with them visually. Uh, Finally, we're going to see the ascendancy of mechanized search. Much more approach to it than uh, how we do it with with keywords. We're going to be seeing all kinds of new search technologies coming in across the board. Almost all of the 18 people pointed to the growth in mechanized search and the use of more sophisticated tools to share information. And so the one thing I can predict for you in the future, and this is good news, is the lawyers are starting to get it. And they're fighting it now. And all the energies are in resistance. But little by little, they're starting to get it. The dinosaurs will die off. The new generations through the the evolutionary process will come in and it will be a better world. It will be a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Again, thank you to Craig Ball. Well, that's the close of this Future Tech session from Legal Tech West Coast in Los Angeles. I'm Monica Bay. Thanks again to our sponsor, Blue Arc. We hope you'll listen to the other five podcasts in this Law Technology Now series. You can find us at law.com's lawtechnologynow.com, at www.legaltalknetwork.com, and on iTunes. I want to thank the many folks who helped make this special Future Tech event happen, including ALM's Henry Dicker, head of Legal Tech, Steve Lincoln and Mike Medwick, Jill Winwer, John Klein in Boston, the Legal Talk Network, Mike Hockman, Scott Hess, Kate Kenny, and Luann Reed. In New York, Katie Montgomery, Sophia Maharaj, and Keith Achille, and in Los Angeles, Bobby Sparks. Thank you again, and goodbye from Legal Tech West Coast. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today. 